let me ask you a question. Uh, does Christmas make you horny? <laughs> uh, usually, but um, that killed my boner for the next week. So no is the I, answer today. I have a similar response. Uh, Mannheim Steamroller uh, is the only CD. The Mannheim Steamroller's Christmas is the only CD at my grandparents' house. Uh, the only CD playing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was hoping it was just the only CD. They Possibly <laughs> the only CD they owned. That's possible too. It may have been what my grandfather bought uh, for forty dollars, along with his like eight hundred dollars CD player. <laughs> um, is your grandfather still with us, rocking it to Man He is. He is not. Uh, yeah. Yes. Hopefully, where he is, there is. No Mannheim Steamroller. <laughs> well, I mean, theoretically, someday Mannheim Steamroller will die and undoubtedly go to heaven. And, you know, uh, that's true. What are they going to do then? That's true. Um, <laughs> what my question, though, is, you know, is is Christmas a time of increased eroticism? <laughs> um, I mean, one can only hope. Um, uh uh, to be perfectly serious, I'm just so horny all the time that it, it's no way to tell. Um, yes, any different now. Uh, Santa Claus might be the original dad bod. <laughs> you know, got to get up. A... It's, it's where you, you know, you first kind of like, you know, get comfortable on the lap of a, a big squishy dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I never thought of dad bods as pedophiles, but there you go. Um, uh, and that's that. I, I just wonder if the erotic tension of Christmas, the waiting to receive a gift, <laughs> the, the element of surprise, uh, does that fuel a lot of great Christmas music? <laughs> Savage Beast. Uh, I'm Joe Gallagher, and with me, the uh, composer of our brand new theme song, Paul McLeod. Uh, yeah, that's me. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, accepting my theme song, Joe. Uh, it's a uh, killer beat. Uh, I uh, got down to it uh, the moment that I uh, that the moment of the first beat. Nice first sound. Uh, you All right. Had, there, there's as I said to you uh, in our private correspondence, uh, <laughs> it's a mix of Portishead, uh, Dungeon Core, and um, I should say Zelda Dungeon Core. Uh, mm-hmm. I, there may be a very different kind of Dungeon Core out there, um, <laughs> and uh, the spacey beats of mid two thousands Neptunes. 
ah, I needed a third. Cited, I needed a third thing. You know, you cited Portishead uh, last night, which is actually yes. too accurate in that I looked up their sheet music to figure out part of it. Um, and then, uh, as I told you, also my son Gavin noted the dungeon core part. So um, uh, uh, I w- I wasn't totally going for dungeon core, but I like the way it turned out, and uh, I have no shame in that. How did you um, compose this this work? What what's um, all right, so um, this is this is our first real in-depth interview with an artist. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, the uh, the main part when the when it really kicks in, um, if, if if it does indeed kick in, uh, partway through was something I was uh, sketching out for when um, we had a brief flash of enthusiasm for uh, producing music together two years ago. Yes, and it's been sitting unused since then. And so um, uh, when I needed the theme uh, beat, I thought of that bit and I reconstructed it basically from memory because um, the file in which it was written is long gone. And um, then after that, it was just a matter of, uh, for that part, finding the right drum samples, which uh, shout out to the Minutemen from whom I used two samples off their double nickels on the dime classic 1984 punk album for nice. the drum samples yeah um which turned out perfectly i didn't even have to really compress them or anything and um then for the intro i uh i just knew i wanted something sort of uh softer and moodier so um like i said with the help of portis head i uh figured out how to do that delightful uh and where if you'll pardon the amateur nature of this question do you get the yeah. those spacey sounds for the keyboard like what's, yeah. what synth is that? All the synths, which there are probably, I don't know how many are actually in the version that is recorded, but there are five to seven synth patches being used, and they're all uh, abs- Native Instruments Absinthe, um, which uh, that's a popular music production software company. And I don't think they even, they I think they do support Absinthe. I don't think they're still releasing new versions of it. There are probably way better synths out there on the market, but... Uh, Jesse Green suggested I use this like fucking 15 years ago and uh, the software is now like four versions beyond what it was then but it produces really nice clean sounds um, and has a lot of really nice options so that I'm using about five percent of so um, uh, it's a good it's a good instrument that is uh, very cool and five percent I think given the when I have messed around with that stuff given the insane amount of things you could do to like <laughs> totally just a single sound like using five percent is probably pretty good <laughs> yeah um I, I might be overestimating but my point is um yeah they're it, i mean they're literally a lot of the keyboard patches they send with it, the program to demo its capabilities are like you press one note and you get you know the verse of a song comes out uh, <laughs> from that. I'm not doing any of that. Um, I'm not really sure why you would, to be honest, because while you can do it, there are better tools for that kind of thing. But uh, great clean sounds, um, which uh, to me is uh, what I really need out of my synth. Um, uh, yeah, not to get too deep into this, but I started out using Reason, which is of course another hugely popular uh, one of these things. And their synth sucks so bad that when I moved to this thing, I was like, oh, that's that's the problem. I was just using the wrong software. Okay, now I get it. Interesting. 
Yeah. Well, uh, let me say this. If you're an artist listening to this, we would also love to interview you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need we need more of that. Especially um, if you have some, you know, like a better personality than I do. Um, we would be really interested in that. Oh, Paul, you, you know, you, you use 5% of your personality. <laughs> <laughs> if I could use 100% of my personality at once, I would be Donald Trump. Um, oh, but, God. Uh, <laughs> we shouldn't go back there. That was actually our last episode, huh? It was. It was. And we took uh, two weeks off to uh, explore this new American landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which uh, you took advantage of that time uh, to use, uh, speaking of your personality, uh, to engage in a <laughs> uh, unfortunate Twitter exchange uh, with uh, one of our favorite rock stars using the official Savage Beast handle. Yeah. Um, I, let me ex- let me try and recap it as neutrally as possible. Um, Sadie Dupree, the lead singer of uh, one of the best current indie rock bands, Speedy Ortiz. Yeah, Pod, Dup- po- Dupuis, just to be Dupuis. totally accurate. Yeah. Uh, pod favorite. Um, tweeted that she needed to borrow some instruments for a show. Mm-hmm. And you quote tweeted this uh, and mentioned uh, mentioning an incident in which Amanda Palmer, uh, a uh, much-hated musician... Uh, uh, was asking uh, people to come play at her shows for free Mm -hmm. and got a lot of flack for it. And you drew a parallel in that saying, gee, I wonder if people will be as mad about this as they were about that. Or like, it's sarcastic manner. Um, But but, uh, then uh, uh, Sadie replied in that she didn't even seem to appreciate the comparison yeah, uh, or your tone. Uh, you then spent several tweets saying you two uh, tr- tweets. There two was two tweets, tweets after that, trying to explain your your point. Yeah, uh, and uh, and then she screen capped uh, two screens worth of the exchange uh, yeah. and tweeted it, with which again cap- was three tweets from me and one from her. Yeah, and tweeted it with the caption, "Why is this happening to me?" Uh, yeah. After which, uh, we got lit up by Speedy Ortiz Twitter. Uh, we got we got sub lit up. Yeah, we got sub lit up. No, only one guy actually added us, um, not yeah. giving us the satisfaction. Which, fair enough. Yeah, um, that's rough. I wanted a few follows. <laughs> Eight follows. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So just to be clear, um, I thought about this a lot after it happened because. Um, <laughs> Because you just got in a, in a fight with your, one of your favorite rock stars. Completely by accident. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what I was trying to say was just, I still, I think Amanda Palmer got a bad rap in that whole thing. I can see the point people are making that musicians don't make enough money and pe- musicians should be paid for their work. Fine. On the other hand, a bunch of fans got to play with Amanda Palmer for fun. That's fucking awesome for those people. So... Um, I don't see why it was at least even if you disagree with her, I don't see why she should be hated for it. Anyway, obviously this is a thing that happened um a literal epochs ago by internet time. So I realized after the fact that the a couple things. First of all, the fact that I was still thinking about this and saw in this parallel a chance to really 
finally get my take in on the Amanda Palmer thing um, <laughs> was weird and would look aggressive because it was completely irrelevant to any recent topic. So um, I apologize for not understanding that and uh, and um, uh, just seeing that that combined with my sarcasm would seem really uh, uh, invasive. Two, I realized if, as uh, perhaps Sadie does, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but if it's the case that she really does think that what Amanda Palmer did wasn't good, then even though I'm saying that what Amanda Palmer did was fine, this looks like an attack on Sadie to Sadie. Um, So even though I tried to explain that, no, I think it's fine. I hope you get your amp, which I really do hope she got her amp, and I I do think she should be allowed to ask for amps. That was my point. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Then... um, uh having said all that uh i can i can get why why it did not come across the way i intended yeah it's um really both sides had a point i mean you you your comment made complete sense i mean it was random but like it's not like i read it and was it was like oh wow i actually had to you had to remind me what the amanda palmer incident was (laughs) but once i did i was like oh yeah that's i you know it's interesting um, yeah. But then at the same time, that and and the subsequent tweets from you uh, did have the, you know, uh, just the sort of like, why, you know, it's like, I see your point. Like, why, why are you talking to her at all? Yeah, I get I get that. Looking back on it, it's uh, she didn't ask for that. Now, having said all that, um, uh a t- I don't. Yeah, it, it was three tweets. It wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> it was uh, just a touch of mansplaining. It wasn't a full man mansplattering. Uh, a mansplaining. Okay, man- <laughs> not to mansplain mansplaining, <laughs> but my understanding is that it would be mansplaining if there was some area of female expertise I was claiming to know more about than she was. Whereas this, it seems to me, is a gender neutral issue. But. I will accept the uh, panel's judgment on that question. Yeah, I think mansplaining has now been like, uh, you know, broadened to cover uh, any incident where a man feels like he needs to explain something to a woman. Uh, okay. Which we can, I, we don't want to get into that. Let's not sure. get into that. Uh, <laughs> I will say, I wasn't even trying to say anything to Sadie, I was just using her tweet as uh, an example in another argument that's and i didn't even expect her to respond or or particularly uh you know need that to be part of what would happen that's the weird part about this to me is that now this person who is uh you know a, a well-known musician yeah uh, it's the fact that she's on twitter in sort of like a non-equal conversation with her fans uh basically having an eternal q and a where she's you know the uh grumpy slash cool rock star Mm -hmm. uh with um a legion of two familiar uh or fans that think they you know the the way in a q and a you know that you get the kind of obsessive person i I guess what i'm what i'm meandering towards here is that's weird that that's going on 24 7 yeah uh and that you know someone in her position uh it would choose 
to engage in that, I mean, it's. I started thinking about like, what if Kurt Cobain was on <laughs> Twitter? You know, uh, he would have been. It did. I mean, he would have been just saying weird shit to people, and and you know, probably yeah. drawing little weird pictures of them and stuff. Um, <laughs> but it's it's an odd. It's odd that we're at this point now that that this is part of, you know, both being an artist and being a fan. Yeah. Are the, you know, you have to negotiate these interactions. So with the artist so much more frequently. Yeah. And (laughs) I also just realized like also seeing uh, the responses to her screen cap tweet of us. I just realized like how different Twitter looks for the, for the uh, low uh, following to followed ratio among us. Um, just because it's like, oh, anytime they say anything, there's like a pack of several dozen randos uh, chiming in uh, yay or nay on what they said. And right. I re- it made me understand. I mean, I knew, I knew that, but just sort of like reading through a whole thread of it, it was like, Oh, I get it now why so many of the writers I follow are like, actually, Twitter sucks now. I'm like, it still seems to be working pretty well for me. But if you are uh, just getting the sort of rando chorus like that on everything you tweet and uh, seeing the quality of that output, it's like, oh, yeah, this platform is actually uh, maybe kind of (laughs) dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. From Sadie's point of view, like, she really doesn't need to hear from paul and joe uh, (laughs) basically ever uh uh, you know and you know even if we were to become the most popular music podcast uh on on the internet uh still are you know we would still probably only you know speak to her in a professional capacity so it's definitely a situation where you realize i mean looking at the replies and people you know were uh you know being like oh, of course this bro has a podcast and like, yeah, yeah. Like, hold on i think we need to actually rate a few of the burns okay uh, okay <laughs> yes um so i i selected about uh six of them here oh fantastic um, so user uh at l daigles uh who has chosen the screen name swamp bong uh said I just said the fuck out loud in this airport over this, which is um, what I wish would have just happened. <laughs> um, so uh, that wasn't so much one we need to rate, but uh, I think that is actually the most, one of the most intelligent comments we got back in that the person just admitted they didn't understand what I was saying. Um, Do you think that they chose the handle Swamp Bong or did the handle Swamp Bong choose them? <laughs> it's when they die, it will move on to a new avatar. It's, uh, there must always be one Swamp, the swamp Bong. bong. What? Yeah, now I'm picturing what the Swamp Bong is. <laughs> yeah, those are really two things you don't want combined. No, um, no. I, it's like the mud, like the, the, the swamp things, like... Yeah sort of a bong made of like melty mud <laughs> anyway too far next all right a uh, user wordcore who which is a pretty sweet twitter handle actually mm-hmm. um he's been around since april 2008 which actually predates me um he says uh 
I too would like to ha- revive an internet debate I had from four years ago. This actually is probably an even more intelligent response in that uh, uh, I applaud him on recognizing my essential error right there, actually. Yeah, he. Uh, that is, you know, where you went wrong and he exactly. got you. Yeah, word core, you, you got me good. Um, user uh, Sarasothikos, uh, who uh, used uses the screen name Lightning Emperor, says, uh, you've encountered a well-actually-in-the-wild, the only defense is to crush its balls. So um, I don't know. My, I guess my question here, Joe, for you is, uh, is that a punishment or an erotic incitement for you? Um, well, first off, I want to apologize. I think that when I was accusing you of mansplaining before, uh, really the well actual well-actually is a better term for what you were doing. Maybe, uh, even though I didn't, I didn't realize it at the time. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, there's overlap <laughs> between what those two uh, mean. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and as far as the ball crushing goes, uh, it's not uh, not my cup of tea. Uh, but uh, perhaps... <laughs> Even if Sadie is doing it? Well, <laughs> if it's really her cup of tea, maybe. <laughs> All right, good. Um, all right, user at Lingo Unbound has the comment you referred to, which uh, I liked. Uh, of course, Homeboy has a podcast. Of course, yes, Homeboy, Homeboy. Yeah. yeah, that's the um, that's the one that really struck it at my heart because that's whenever oh, yeah. I realized, yeah, I'm just like another like douchebag, <laughs> you know, dad to be in my case, like you know, podcasting. Yeah, you know, to his friends. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. That guy, that guy got us good. Uh, It is absolutely deplorable that we have a podcast, and um, he's correct. Um, I I once saw a uh, you know random you know retweeted comment. I think it had like ten thousand retweets, and it was just you know one of these uh, uh, Twitter women uh, who have large followings uh, saying, "I'm sorry, your boyfriend has a podcast." (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Um, no, there's uh, there's no good reason for podcasts to exist. Um, he's exactly right. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, user exactly nothing, um, who somehow got that handle in 2012. That's impressive. Uh, says some people just love hearing themselves talk so much they forget they're spewing nonsense. I feel like this is the Twitter version, which I feel like that's what Twitter is. Uh, there's no Twitter version of that. That it's the whole platform. Yeah, that's like uh, people lamenting that Facebook has become, uh, you know, too political. It's like that's <laughs> that's what Facebook is. That's what it's trying to capture is the shitty conversations you have uh, in real life every day. It just wants to show you advertisements during them. If you don't like it, leave Facebook. And if exactly. you don't if you don't like word spewing, leave, <laughs> leave Twitter Exactly. Um, so uh, correct, but also um, uh, uh, fatuously uh, not insightful. Um, and then lastly, uh, user Shady Nasty Luke sounds like a nice guy. Um, whose whose screen name is Two Dogs Hammer and Sickle emoji um, uh, says, "Quote: What a dill hole." Hmm. Yeah, I. I, uh, I I see what he was going for. He also misspelled Dillhole, I should say. There are only two instead of three L's in the word. Anyway, um, although maybe 
I guess I I always spelled it like the herb, but maybe it does make more sense to spell it like a dildo. Is is the dill is the dill hole? It's the hole in the dick, right? I guess I don't. I I just thought it was a word that people made up that you know sounded like something. It's a Beavis and but... Butthead word. I believe they uh... are the ones who popularized the term. Okay. See, I didn't actually watch much Beavis and Butthead, even though I now love Mike Judge. So that's on me for not knowing that. I'm not sure how well it holds up, but it was a very important show uh, as far as music goes. That's uh, true. Introducing the grungy uh, 90s, uh, you know, MTV audience to uh, harder, uh, weirder metal and uh, just (laughs) uh, stranger stuff. Yeah. Anyway, as far as the the tweet goes, uh, uh, good effort, but I wanted a more original uh, epithet for our first really good name calling. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll do something that makes people really mad. Um, uh, is that the that's the final tweet? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the one guy who did add us, we should give him props since he uh, since he actually mentioned us. He said uh, that we're not punk, and he's going to tell everybody. Which again. 100% accurate and yeah. um as long as he's telling people about us I'm happy. Yeah, I'd be disturbed if someone got the impression I was punk because then they, <laughs> I'd be like you need to reevaluate what you think punk is. <laughs> I guess uh, is can normcore be punk, Joe? We might be normcore. No, I think that might be stretching the definition of punk to mean rebellious uh yeah. in any way. And yeah. I, I don't think um uh, white males co-opting the uh, dress and affectation of white males is punk. <laughs> yeah, and also we aren't actually uh, normcore. No, but... I, I don't own any Tevas. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, all right. So wait, I have goes. I have a final question about this. Um, sure. Now that you've had this uh, sort of interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it change uh, your uh, feelings towards uh, Speedy Ortiz's music or Sadie's right. music? So the, the thought occurred to me, um, uh, maybe I feel a little bit weird about it right now, which is a completely stupid thing to do. Uh, I'm sure I will get over it in the long run. Mainly, the lesson I took from this is that um, uh, it's really easy to... Uh, uh, say something on Twitter that doesn't come across the way you intend it. So, um, uh, a keep that in mind when other people say stupid shit, uh, because maybe that's not what they intended. And b, um, uh, just never tweet. Right, right, never tweet. <laughs> that's a that's a good lesson. You know, I, I was I have to say that even I like uh, it was funny. Uh, uh, Sadie was playing one of her solo shows here the week uh, this past week. Uh, after uh-huh. this happened and uh, I couldn't go um, uh. but uh, I, I was just thinking like yes after this incident like I would feel a little weird being there like uh, there's yeah. you know it would definitely be weird zero- to interact with her personally right and there's like zero percent chance that you know of anything happening unless I were the one to be like hey my friend was the one who was a total idiot to you on Twitter and she'd be like <laughs> Which one? <laughs> exactly. But it's still like sitting there like watching her would be like, it would still be in my mind. So it's just interesting how those things can. This is one of the reasons that like I'm, you know, have always been hesitant about, uh, you know, 
not that I've really had the opportunity to be like a musical journalist or like work in music in any way, because it's so mm-hmm. my favorite thing. And just, you know, I have, you know, friends who worked at venues for long term and stuff. And, you know, like you, they get stories. They'd be like, you know, I can't listen to Vampire Weekend because they were such assholes. And I'm like, <laughs> I would hate that for that to happen to me to just like be like, yeah, I loved Vampire Weekend, but they were just complete dicks about their you know catering contract so i just think about that every time i hear um yeah. you know modern vampires of the city <laughs> yeah you know that's a good point because uh you know plenty plenty of artists uh are are revealed assholes and i it's never happened to me and i've always said like well uh i can separate their art from uh however they are to people in their daily life um so in the interest of consistency uh, I feel obligated to um, not let this affect my appreciation of Speedy Ortiz uh, be, just because this time it happened to me, um, which I'm not saying she was the asshole here necessarily. But, Excellent. Uh, and we, yeah. bo- we both have, you know, all our uh, years practicing uh, being a fan of Billy Corgan while he was clearly <laughs> just the hugest dill hole on the planet uh, really <laughs> pay off in this, these circumstances. They're assholes and they're assholes. I would still actually want to be Billy's friend. Um, uh, I just don't I, think you'd be his friend for very long. Like, <laughs> I, I think he would like cut you off after some perceived slight. Maybe you that, telling him like, "Hey, lighten up, man!" After he'd been yelling at you for like three hours, or be like really kaleidoscope. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, been the Smashing Pumpkins minute for this episode of Savage Beast. <laughs> Exactly. We need a theme song for that, actually. Um, it could just be the the vocal sample of Billy saying, like, I'm in love with my sadness and move on. Um, yeah. Or I was thinking the uh, uh, f- French movie theme from Vuforia. <laughs> that would actually be really good. <laughs> just just insert that in underneath every time. Yes. All right. Um, um so, Joe, do you have any more thoughts on Twitter and, and this before we move on to our real topic? No, never tweet. Yeah. Uh, just uh, instead, we're now going to talk about our real uh, uh, purpose in life, Christmas mm-hmm. music. Yeah. Never tweet, always podcast. That's our, that's our motto. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Christmas music, Joe, um, uh, do you like it? Well, I do like it, and I think that was uh, what we were testing here. Um, mm-hmm. We both kind of set out to go listen to Christmas music and figure out what Christmas music was good and, uh, you know, why or why not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, You know, I came back uh, realizing, uh, unsurprisingly, uh, that I like Christmas music and that I am probably helpless – uh, against ever changing that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> though you've striven all these years. Um, True. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, uh, should we play the people a Christmas song, Joe? Let's play some Christmas music. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Days of love. Days of
Okay, that again was uh, Eight Days of Hanukkah by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Not a R. Christmas song. Sharon Jones. <laughs> no. All right, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and I just ran over your RIP for, for Sharon Jones. So <laughs> she, she needs all the ones she needs. Uh, she can get. Um, I don't know what that means. Jesus. Uh, anyway, um, uh, so I had never listened to this Christmas song before we were researching this episode, Joe. But one of my main discoveries was that um, – the best way to do Christmas music is to actually just play funk music. That is true. Play funk music, play rock music, play uh, soulful acu- acoustic music. Just play whatever music uh, you like to play uh, and um, just, you know, treat the Christmas <laughs> song as your raw materials. Yeah, that's good. Uh, the reason I particularly like funk is um, so there are a couple modes for Christmas. We'll get into the. Uh, uh, probably my favorite one later, but one of the main ones is sort of like good times party music that's family friendly, um, as opposed to uh, almost all the party music people listen to now. Um, and uh, I think funk fits in that niche just perfectly. So uh, I discovered not only this uh, song and actually album, um, what is the name of the album again? It's A Holiday Soul Party by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, mm-hmm. which is generally quite good. Uh, an artist I'd never heard of named Joseph Washington. I came across his song called Shopping that I enjoyed. And then uh, the great James Brown has uh, a funky Christmas album uh, featuring the song Soulful Christmas that um, uh, is just excellent. So um, that, uh, if you're trying to just, you know, put on some good music for when everybody's uh, sipping eggnog in dumb sweaters uh, on Christmas Eve, um, I recommend that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, that's always been my go-to uh, jazz Christmas, funk Christmas. Mm. Uh, that um, uh, it it does take you out of that uh, nostalgic mode that so often uh, covers uh, Christmas and its uh, syrupy uh, maple candy ejaculate. <laughs> yeah, and that was actually one of the points I wanted to make is that um, most of the Christmas Standard recordings that we listen to are garbage, and I want everybody to know that because, um, like, I was in Home Depot for three hours yesterday buying shit for my house, and they had, I don't know, whatever the XM radio uh, basic Christmas song, uh, station is, and uh, there was... It was just awful. Like I, th- yeah. I actually thought I liked Christmas music more than I do before I had this experience yesterday. Um, there was some, there was some just baroque fuckhead uh, putting every possible, you know, uh, uh, <coughs> extravagance, vocal extravagance he could into every line of uh, Twelve Days of Christmas," which is already a terrible song. Um, and then, like today. Uh, I was in 
a fast food restaurant and I heard a song uh, who's um, who it was, uh, you know, the slate that sleigh ride song like, you know, that one. Um, and I was like, who does this version of this? It turned so I, you know, music searched it. It turned out to be this guy named Andy Williams. Do you know the name Andy Williams, Joe? I do. Really? Okay, because I had never heard of this motherfucker. Um, it turns out he sold a hundred million albums and yeah. was on TV for like eleven years and is super famous. Uh, in sort of the same mode as like a Frank Sinatra, and yet where Frank Sinatra is like a name you hear once a week. Nobody talks about Andy Williams anymore. Um, it's the most wonderful time of the year is his most famous recording of uh, Christmas music anyway, yes. probably, um, which is, again, a terrible recording. Um, basically, yeah, this is... Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. I, I know that recording, yes. <laughs> Everybody does. Yeah. Uh, think of that song, and that's the recording you're thinking of. Um, well, it's like, why with these, you know, with these kind of classic standard versions of Christmas songs, do we have to always aim mm-hmm. for you know this one picture of the family like gathered around and it's like everyone you know is like uh you know everything is jolly and bright you know because, I mean, <laughs> because we are generally a sentimental uh and full of shit uh nation joe that's that true is how it is <laughs> that's true and this is perhaps just revealing of that in that the, you know there's there's so many other things going on at christmas there's like complex and interesting theology there's you know mm-hmm. loss and you know sadness and there's you know f- you know all the imperfections of family and then there's you know just kind of the you know uh sense that like another year is almost over i there's all these feelings and i I think that um as we'll see the better christmas songs the better versions versions of christmas songs uh definitely go past uh those quote unquote happy family photo moments yeah um generally speaking Anything that was popular with your parents and or your grandparents is probably not always because we do have some good examples, I think, uh, but probably a bad Christmas recording and um, you should stop listening to it. I was thinking also like listening to well, make your point, actually. Go ahead. No, no. I, I you know what? We're going to have to listen to something else before I, I, I <laughs> we'll either I'm going to, you know, fire all of my bullets uh, in <laughs> rapid fashion here, fashion here. Um, maybe we should play one of these terrible songs, but like just, just in Home Depot yesterday, I was thinking like, this is just the whitest music of all time. And I really hate it. I think I may have said that about fucking, um, that, uh, uh, you know, um, swing low, the dirty projectors, but this is actually even whiter. Um, and, uh, yeah, if I was thinking if white nationalists want to take credit when they're uh, berating people of color uh, for all the inventions of white people and stuff. Like they're like, Oh, we invented grain and the, well, that's not true. We invented the bridge or whatever. They need to, they need to also fess up and own up to fucking Andy Williams because um, it's, it's a black mark at least as deep as whatever good marks they want to cite. Man, who's turning the invention of bridges into just, racial issue uh, <laughs> fucking white people apparently like all of the alt-right like that's what they do on twitter is they find prominent uh black people and then tweet them pictures of bridges and say like did any of your people build these Fuck. Uh, so okay so are you you're about to play a shitty christmas song no is we it? don't actually have to play oh, these okay. everybody can already hear them in their heads well i'll just just you know to 
you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that part of or a lot of the reason for these terrible Christmas recordings is that we are being subjected to a white supremacist fantasy Mm. of the good boys and girls getting presents while their entire wholesome extended white family surrounds them uh as and you know it's not uh a a coincidence that that's kind of pushed as the ideal christmas um (laughs) is you know a picture of um uh the white family and uh you know music that a white family would love you know likes uh doing you know with lyrical topics uh suggesting the activities uh that uh non-existent idealized uh white supremacist families uh uh indulge in (laughs) wow this got way darker than i thought it was gonna be as a theory of christmas song music um i uh you may be right i'm inclined to give our nostalgic parents and grandparents the benefit of the doubt and say it's merely nostalgia for a time when it so happened that all media images were white. Um, that didn't so happen. There are obviously racist reasons for that, Yeah, but it's not because it's racist that they hearken back to it. I'll give them, I, I'm inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt, but maybe you're right. Uh, either way, it's definitely the case that uh, these songs are like the, the sonic equivalent of Christmas sweaters. And, um, Anybody who unironically enjoys them is a bad person. There you go. Right. Uh, and and the only debate is exactly why they're bad. <laughs> um, uh, all right, Joe. Why don't you Why don't you pick us out uh, some good music we could listen to? Sure. Well, I, let me play. Uh, since we're talking about kind of standard recordings, let me play my favorite standard recording of a Christmas song. Uh, okay. That's Jose Feliciano's Feliz Navidad. Okay. Hit it. That was Feliz Navidad uh, by Jose uh, Feliciano, uh, uh, written uh, in 1970 uh, by uh, by him and recorded by him as well. Uh, he is a uh, Puerto Rican singer, and this song is uh, macaronic. It's a word <laughs> I did not know. Which ah, uh, go ahead, yeah uh text uh using a mixture of two languages or a mixture of 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 two or more languages really uh, yes particularly bilingual puns 
Uh, mm. Is there a lingual pun in this? I don't, I don't think, think so. I don't think there is. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, um, man, I'm going to start thinking of macarons now. Macarons. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and I will not read you any more of the Wikipedia article about macarons. <laughs> um, instead, I'll read you the Wikipedia article about Feliz Navidad. Yeah. Um, uh, it's uh, one of the most popular Christmas songs, and I like it. Um, and this uh, recording of it, because instead of being, I think, forced, instead of the earnestness being uh, enforced uh, by the, uh, you know, uh, the spirit, the almost draconian spirit uh, <laughs> of the year, this he the seems, ruthless spirit of Christmas. Yes, uh, he, he, he Jose seems genuinely happy. Uh, and the song is just like, hey, it's Christmas. Hey, it's Christmas. And then it's, you know, happy Christmas in, in two different languages. And that is just, you know, you you sing this song, your little kid, you're just singing this song running around. And there's like, it's just kind of pure joy. And I think it gets to like the the nice part of Christmas where... You're like, well, it's it's Christmas. No matter what's going on, there'll be some some fun moments. Hopefully, I mean, you know, I hope you're I hope one's Christmas, uh, you know, has a few moments of joy that you can look forward to. Uh, mm. <laughs> that was pretty dark. It's like, well, uh, I mean, there are lots of people like uh, my wife, for instance, who find Christmas nothing but a burden. Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, if you don't find Christmas to be just total shit then i think this song uh does one of the best jobs of expressing uh the childlike joy of it yeah so i gotta be honest i had mixed feelings about this song um i it it does work a little bit better just for um uh adding some latin spice to christmas yes uh, something this holiday sorely needs um, on the other hand, I can't tell if it's just as kitschy as the other songs I'm complaining about here. Um, but just in Spanish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, there's um, nothing wrong with good kitsch, though. That's, mm, you know, there, well, maybe there's, you're right. Yeah, there's no, or like there's nothing like inherently wrong with it, I think. I mean, like, I guess we had a whole episode about kitsch we like. Um, yes. <laughs> so uh, on that level. Uh, I will grant you this song, Joe. Uh, but uh, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, I, this was almost one of my examples of bad Christmas songs. Um, but uh, I don't I, I have to admit, I don't totally hate it when I listen to it just now. Then, So um, you've 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 swayed me towards towards a positive view of the song. There we go. Um, That's the Christmas spirit. Yes. Yes. Put that sweater on. <laughs> Uh, that's all I'll be wearing. Actually, anyway. a, a sweater that said Feliz Navidad would probably be slightly, uh, you know, uh, hashtag disruptive uh, in certain parts of the country. Yeah, it would be a little weird for me in Tucson. People would be like, uh, maybe they would actually just think I was one of those white Mexicans. Um, <laughs> um, okay, what what should we listen to next? Um, let's see. Are we ready to... I think we should listen to one of our anti-Christmas songs, Joe. Okay. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw three suggestions at you and you pick. We could listen to, uh, uh, what is the name of that one? Is it just Christmas by uh, Joe Favorite, uh, Beat Happening? 
Yes. Um, we could listen to <laughs> Santa's Got the AIDS This Year by Tiny Tim. Um, yeah, that's now that's some punk shit. Yeah, or maybe the waitress's uh, Christmas wrapping would also qualify. Um, I I say Christmas wrapping by the waitresses is more of a uh, uh, that's not anti Christmas to me. That's it's, more it, the, of an attempt to update Christmas. It it start it's it starts out as anti Christmas and then there's a turn at the end. So I agree with you. Yes, that's um, more a modern Christmas. Um, yeah. Well, I'll. Uh, um, Picking between Tiny Tim and Beat Happening is difficult. Uh, so uh, let's let's hear them both in a row. Let's hear a little right. snippet of both. I had sex on Christmas. I had sex three times today. That again was uh, Tiny Tim with uh, Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. Um, I think that song <laughs> might be my favorite discovery from the research I did for this episode. <laughs> um, I, I had never heard of it. It's also or the be happening song for that. Moment. Yeah, which was uh, yes, maybe my second favorite discovery. <laughs> uh, the Tiny Tim song was written, you know, in uh, I think their early eighties, nineteen eighty four, apparently. Yeah, in the you know the early days of the or you know the the first phase of the AIDS crisis, so that's a, that's a dark song. I mean, yeah. you know, it's not like a tongue in cheek Adult Swim like haha AIDS song. That's just a like oh Santa Claus has AIDS probably gonna exactly. Die. I thought at first I just saw the title and I was like oh this seems sort of like a, the sort of cheap provocation one gets nowadays, but. Finding out that it was from like a 50 year old man in 1984 definitely changes how you evaluate that. <laughs> yes. Um, Paul, why, why are anti Christmas songs uh, not, uh, why are they not even that well known among uh, our kind, our That's degenerate kind? That's a good question. I think we're not quite punk enough, Joe, as we've discovered uh, several different ways this episode. Yes. Um, there are probably uh, people with um, large gauges uh, of holes in their ears who do know all the anti-Christmas songs. Um, but 
Yeah, I uh, I enjoy them because um, if you if you can't make Christmas good, you might as well uh, negate the concept of Christmas entirely. So um, uh, good work by the two artists we just listened to. You know, I, I it's it's interesting going back to like the Christmas fantasy. Uh, there are just so few allowances in that for anything negative. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, maybe talking about you know grandpa's shitty Christmas while he was poor, like growing up, <laughs> is allowed. You know, or you know, yeah. Uh, but that's kind of it, and uh, and it has to be in service of the narrative of now Christmas is good, right? And so that's just so few people experience Christmas uh, the way that uh it's portrayed in these songs um xkcd uh the web comic they have this great um con- he has this great comic called tradition uh where the tr- it shows the 20 most played christmas songs mm-hmm. and um let's see here uh, uh 16 of the 20 were written in the 40s and 50s so yeah, you know exactly. reconstructing this baby boomer christmas Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's just no room there for the person who had to be for the kid who had to be like shuttled between two parents, two divorced parents' houses, um, or, you know, someone who's like the first, you know, their Christmas is they're like Christmas starts black Friday when they're working a double at TJ Maxx, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's weird for stalwarts of spiritual hon- honesty, such as we, Joe, but I think the way a lot of people uh, uh, deal with trauma uh, of bad family relationships and other types of trauma is to um, yearn for the version of reality where they don't have to deal with that at all. So that's <laughs> I think a that fair actually, point. I think that actually explains the disconnect there. That's a good point. I mean, and it's, it's just remarkable that... Uh, even as we continue now, you know, closing in on, you know, 70 years uh, from or more from mm-hmm. when these songs, you know, kind of came into being, uh, we are still holding that yeah. same fantasy up. Since I'm <laughs> sure they were a fantasy back then as well. Exactly. Um, That's my point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, that we have not found any way to progress as a society towards acknowledging uh, uh, problems during, like, using the holidays for any purpose other than just uh, blinding white fantasy. <laughs> white being the operative term we've already learned. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, I <laughs> and, and in that context, these... Uh, these anti-Christmas songs uh, are great. <laughs> I, not everybody gets them. I will say I was researching uh, Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. <laughs> and one of the first search results was uh, some random forum I'd never heard of where the comment is just, uh, first he makes light of the AIDS epidemic, and then he brings Santa Claus into it. Like, this <laughs> person's outraged. Which I thought it was funny that that was the order of things. Like, AIDS is one thing, but you can't fucking make fun of Santa Claus, you bastard. Um. Oh, man, I liked, your, I liked your Weird Al voice there. AIDS? <laughs> Santa Claus? Um, not intentional, but, uh, that's how I imagine people who would say something like that. Uh, um, <laughs> Paul, are, are you, are you, uh, excited about or dreading, uh, the inevitable Kendrick Lamar Christmas album? Oh my God. If that happens, just 
fuck. No, he won't do that. Radiohead wouldn't make a Christmas album except as a they would they, say okay, possibly I could see artists of that stature doing something like that as a joke or just this is a silly thing I did during a concert, but I I have faith that that would not happen, Joe, and and don't shatter my uh blinding white uh fantasy. I'm thinking about the amount of money I would pay for uh, a Radiohead Christmas album. The, <laughs> the number just keeps going up. I I would totally watch a drunken Radiohead Christmas webcast. They um, did. They've done a Christmas webcast. I just don't oh. think they pay, played any uh, Christmas songs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I want. <laughs> is like Tom York doing like uh, uh, what would be a good one? I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, Tennessee Christmas or something like that. Yes. Um. Uh. They, yes, I was just confirming that they actually did a Christmas webcast, and they did, but uh, it was just very Radiohead. So, um, <laughs> nice. Uh, um, well, speaking of Christmas broadcasts, um, uh, I'm going to let you in on some of the uh, fantastical nostalgia that I fall prey to with a recording of uh, a 19th century Christmas standard by uh, the King's College Choir of Cambridge. All right, hit me. Yeah, um, I'll play it and then we'll talk about it. Okay. This is uh, O Holy Night. That was uh, Oh Holy Night, again, by King's College Choir, mm-hmm. um, which apparently they do a Christmas broadcast uh, every year for the UK. Um, they're like the most uh, well-known and uh, long-running, having been founded by uh, King Henry VI, i.e. the guy two Henrys before King Henry VIII, uh, <laughs> who founded mm-hmm. the Anglican Church. Um uh, uh, and they do a Christmas broadcast and recording every year and um, uh, are very popular. You can look up all their uh, directors going back to like the fucking 1600s on Wikipedia. Anyway, um, so my parents had a, like a double album uh, by these people of that sort of uh, Anglican churchy Christmas hymns type of thing that they used to play a lot when I was a kid. And uh, I don't know if it's just nostalgia, but um, the... Uh, 
I actually don't think anything feels more Christmassy to me than um, uh, that sort of choir plus organ uh, thing going on, which gets at <laughs> some of the more mysterious um, actual theology to the holiday that I totally don't believe in, but has some sort of uh, aesthetic qualities uh, that uh, still appeal nonetheless. Well, it's a it's a beautiful recording of a beautiful song. Uh, you know, what uh, counts is just um, kind of does the best of uh, what classical mu- music, particularly like uh, classical choral music, can do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I agree that it, it gets to, um, you know, whether you uh, ascribe to a particular theology, um, it it moves you in that deeply spiritual way. Um, uh, and that um, I definitely agree that this to me feels like uh, the Christmas uh, experience that I I want you know exactly that yeah. that 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 kind of time of peace and renewal um, <laughs> and you know this uh, this song in particular when it gets to um what i, I guess probably is not called is it is it the chorus i, I, I know don't... exactly what you're talking about yeah, yeah. the you know the <laughs> the, the refrain the refrain um yeah. you know the uh the just the the chords there are yeah. uh magnificent yeah, in this song and in my other favorite, one of these traditional Christmas hymns, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, um, which sort of does the same thing. It, there's like, it's actually almost like a heavy metal transition, um, just done with uh, voices in this case. Um, yeah. In the King's College, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is also excellent, they they drop the choral hammer uh, to the extent that one can yes. on that. And uh, uh, <laughs> I love it. It's like, a, you know, Ave Maria. Like there's like almost infinite shitty, corny recordings of that song. But like it's still uh, a fucking crucial song when you yeah. find the rare uh, good version of it. Exactly. Yeah. So for this podcast, I decided like I'm going to go through and try to find like the best O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I also did it with O Holy Night. And uh, I found some interesting ones. Uh, I'll won't play it, but I'll call out uh, Marika Hackman's uh, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel was pretty good. Sufjan has a great version on his yes. Songs for Christmas. Um, as as we discussed, uh, the Songs for Christmas, where 2006 Sufjan uh, plays a bunch of Christmas standards as well as his own uh, cool inventions, is uh, just like crack for us. Yeah. I mean, you realize... Sufjan has two five-disc Christmas albums, which I think means we have more discs of uh, Sufjan Christmas than of, like, regular Sufjan. Yes. <laughs> With some, like, repeats and sketchy songs in there, but still. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, also, I'm not a huge fan of the Civil Wars, but their version of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, I thought was pretty good. So Nice. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, those sorts of... Um, uh, older standards, I don't know if it's just because I'm a pretentious asshole, but I like them a lot better than the new standards from the 40s and 50s that we were complaining about earlier. Yeah, there's. it's nice that there's this whole uh, group of songs um, from that kind of come from that tradition where it's like one of the rare times that I'm like uh, into the more, I guess it's not rare. Perhaps yeah. maybe it's the opposite of that, where I find the more serious contemplation of matters from the 19th century or, or prior to that uh, more interesting than kind of the 
uh, mass cultural approach of the mid 20th century. Totally. Uh, which is with us to this day. Um, it's said that our uh, correct disbelief leaves us with a, uh, a hollowed out holiday season, but uh, there it is. Um, I will say some of the big mid century crooners, uh, when they do tackle some of these older songs, you get interesting recordings like the, uh, the Nat King Cole, Oh Holy Night is, uh, not as metal, but it does um, show off his uh, his really interesting tenor well. And uh, like you uh, shared a Bing Crosby version of Silent Night that again is like, oh, Bing Crosby was a really good singer. I can well, see that from this. Actually, I, would, I wouldn't. I have a that uh, it's good transition here. But uh, if you wouldn't mind playing that, I have uh, 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 more to say sure. about it. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, Bing Crosby with Silent Night uh, and that might be um, my personal favorite uh, traditional Christmas song um, it uh, shows you know the potential uh, for Christmas to generate um, well it's not just the potential it's it's real beautiful art built around Christmas you know that inspired by the time of year you know it and and uh it paints this haunting uh almost within your grasp feeling of this moment that i think goes beyond religion even though it's you know religious imagery uh it's a peaceful ideal of everything in its right place you know Everything. where exactly well i <laughs> i picked this version because i i thought the sort of warbling choruses in the background had a bit of uh tom and johnny's production in it <laughs> a uh, little bit yeah 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 you got that uh motion picture soundtrack feel um <laughs> Uh, you know where Ooh, you're yeah, kind of totally, you're actually. you're kind of listening to this like you know radio broadcast after the apocalypse. Um, yeah, um, uh, and <laughs> you yes. might think of that. Did you ever play Fallout Three? No, because oh, uh, the soundtrack to that game is actually this like era of recording music um, all the time. So. Okay, that that totally <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, um, 
anyway, this, I mean, this song just has that sentiment where, you know, the, it's, it's, you're sleeping peacefully, your love, the world is quiet, but here, um, you know, Ella Fitzgerald version is also great. The Carpenter's version. Um, and it's maybe the best way to put it is it's my favorite kind of singer songwriter Christmas moment where I just, mm. uh, you know, feel like the, the, the lyrics and the the melody are uh, really striking and moving. Yeah. So, um, uh, <laughs> Silent Night is actually not one of my favorite traditional Christmas songs, but I totally get why it would work for you that way. So I'm not yeah. going to say anything bad about it. Um, and I totally agree with that sentiment about um, there is sort of that um, just sort of uh, peaceful uh yeah that's sort of that's one version of the more traditional christmas thing uh that sort of counterbalances nicely the more like awe feeling you get from something like uh oh holy night um speaking of singer songwriter christmases though uh what did you think of the david bazan first noel i sent you uh well what i mean uh wait what'd you just say Oh, I said, oh, really? Because you said, well, like you didn't like it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> stop, stop predicting my reaction. Um, no, I, I uh, you know, I love David Bazan slash Pedro the mm-hmm. Lion. Um, and I I thought uh, this version of uh, the song was great. Uh, I just, and you know, I love his like, yeah, I love his take on life in general, which mm-hmm. is just he sounds like on his uh, last legs uh, about to die in a ditch, which I'm sorry. I know he like struggles with drug addiction and depression and uh, you know, it's it, it, he consistently produces uh, great, sad music. Uh, he knows out of his, his brand. Yeah. Out of his situation. So uh, yeah, um, I found the juxtaposition there with this uh, Christmassy music uh, just really affecting. So, um, that was why I brought it up. But um, mental note: we need to do a Pedro the Lion uh, podcast. That would be good because I never really listened to them as much as I should have. Uh, him, whatever. Um, uh, yeah, we need to. Yeah, we might even just do a Winners Never Quit podcast. Uh, it is a which, good album. Yeah, it's a great a, album. Spent a couple years uh, really obsessed with it uh, and haven't returned to it in recent years. So it'd be a good reason. And, you know, I don't see it name-checked that often anymore. Um, I feel like it's uh, definitely a very epic feeling in, in hindsight album that um, uh, doesn't seem like I see a lot of bands that are explicitly influenced by it, but maybe I'm yeah. just wrong about that. It definitely lost, um, with, you know, that eternal lottery to be, you know, considered one of the classics of its time, uh, even though it definitely is. Yeah. Um, anyway... <laughs> all right joe i have uh i have one closing uh story unless you have other thoughts on christmas no go for it yeah so um i actually should have mentioned this story earlier when we were talking about funk music but i was in uh culver's which is a fine fast food chain if anybody doesn't know about it that serves both good burgers and great frozen custard uh, with my kids because that's their favorite restaurant and they had again like the xm radio christian christmas uh music song uh, station on and uh there were these two incredibly old people sitting across the way from us they had to be in their 80s uh they were a couple and um 
the the Culver's dude strolled by um, because that's what they do in this particular fast food restaurant to ask how everybody's uh, food was. And he went to the old people first. And the old woman was just like, well, the food is excellent, but the music you're playing um, is just not suitable for the digestion of your excellent food. And I took her to be saying this because uh, about three songs before, <laughs> James Brown had come on the station and he was doing his like, what? James Brown thing and uh, apparently she hated it so much she had to mention it to the to the dude uh, she was just like somebody sounded like their hand was stuck in a car door <laughs> and oh man yeah I was like this is why we can't have nice Christmas music people because that was obviously the only good Christmas song that has played all day so anyway then he came over to our table and I uh, loudly told him that we enjoyed the James Brown um christmas music <laughs> trolling for christmas <laughs> that's what the christmas spirit is all about joe yes uh one one trolls for christmas and uh I, I santa is the ultimate troll um making you do all these things uh and then uh he doesn't have to do shit uh, yeah your well, parents do it for him so you know um but uh yes i i definitely agree that um I don't know. I mean, will enough old people die that we are allowed to listen to or we are allowed to even like mix up what Christmas music is? Or is it like or is it just our generation already also so obsessed with these songs that we, too, are doomed? I think uh, we'll probably I think our kids will see something like Feliz Navidad or Happy Xmas, even though I think those are better songs than the ones we're making fun of uh as our version of those um so we'll add to the canon of bad kitschy songs uh, as perceived by future generations and the cycle will continue forever as people continuously yeah. become more nostalgic as they age yeah i guess it's just it's just a matter of like people thinking of all i want for christmas uh is you in the same vein as winter wonderland and yeah. or like uh, last christmas or something yeah, like that uh, i just you know as long as they throw grandma got run over by a reindeer in there <laughs> i'll survive uh that's a great i mean grandma gets drunk off yeah. her medication and just gets plowed over by santa and dies that's now that's a uh now that's a song for a religious holiday Absolutely. Um, um, keep it in your hearts this Christmas Day. Yes. Um, well, Paul, I'm at 9% on my computer battery and not a charger cord in sight. All right. So. Let me encourage everybody to uh, interact with our offensive and stupid Twitter account, which is at Savage Beast Pod. And uh, check us out on the web, savagebeastpod.com. Email us, savagebeastpod at gmail.com. And then, of course, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes or any of the many, well, any of the uh, like three or four Android platforms we're on. Um, we love your feedback, especially if you're like, hey, it's the most wonderful time of the year is actually an accurate song and you guys are assholes for ruining it. Um, that's what we want to hear. Yeah, and, uh, you know, at your Christmas party this year, remember... Uh, the She and Him Christmas album is not the only uh, subversive album you can play. Go out there, <laughs> stretch your limits. Yeah, absolutely. Sharon Jones. All right. Hell yeah. <laughs>
Good night, Joe. Good night, Paul. Merry Christmas. Christmas.